Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Durhaj. So, Roxanne, thanks for tuning in. Today, I have a special colleague, Allison Graham. Hi, Allison. How are you today? Awesome. Thanks for having me. So, Allison and I are uh, met not too long ago, and uh, we speak on the same topic of resilience. So, I, Allison was so gracious to give me her time today, and I'm just going to tell you a little bit about Allison, and then, then we'll get right into things. Uh, she inspires professionals to rethink resilience as a keynote speaker, an author, and a corporate cultural consultant. She's been featured by national media outlets um, and the, is the lessons, lessons from the headlines, guest expert each week on global news, CFPL, and hosts the Resiliency Ninja podcast on C-Suite Radio. Her latest book, Married My Mom, this is interesting, Birth to Dog, <laughs> How to Be Resilient When Life <laughs> Sucks, is inspiring people around the world to embrace their resiliency ninja journey. Resiliency ninja. That is a fascinating title. So tell me, tell me more about what's a resiliency ninja. Well, the original concept came because it's like, if you imagine like an old cheesy ninja kind of, or maybe like a modern superhero you know, movie, you'd have like this, you know, ninja or superhero walking down the street, all calm, cool, collected, uh, you know, even Bruce Wayne, right? And then he ducks out of the party and he goes into the alley and he, like, he just walks down all these assailants and then comes back out to the cocktail party like nothing happened. And I feel like that's how many of us are living our lives. <laughs> we're, we're constantly facing different obstacles that are getting in our way and we have to show up for our clients, show up for our teams, uh, mm -hmm. show up for our employer, wherever it is you happen to work in our best self, no matter what is going on personally or professionally. And so that's the concept of a resiliency ninja. It's not that you are able to get rid of the challenges, is that you're able to metabolize the stresses faster and get back on your path to success. So metabolize is an interesting concept, right? So like when you think of metabolizing stressors like what what tell me what you mean when you say that yeah so one of my very like my foundational signature concepts is that we tend as humans to bucket everything under the word stress mm -hmm. and the truth is is not everything that goes wrong needs to actually be stressful and so when we look at if our our natural our natural way to respond to an obstacle is to get very stressed out by it and respond and be reactive. The idea of metabolizing that is we wouldn't necessarily be able to interrupt our initial reaction and response. Mm -hmm. However, we can interrupt that with the resiliency ninja formula to first be self-aware that we're responding in a way that is not ideal for the situation or for our own health and our wellness. And we can interrupt it 
and then go through the process of dealing with whatever obstacle it is so that you you process that obstacle faster. So much like we process the food we eat with our metabolism, uh, I'm, I'm sort of using that same imaginary, like that, that metaphoric approach to doing that with the obstacles that you face. Which makes a lot of sense, right? Whatever you focus on grows, I, I often say, or if you're able to disrupt it and spend less time either in the past, let's say you trigger backwards based on something you've been in or to the future because you're worrying about something that 98% of the time is potentially not going to happen. And, you, you know, so many of us and me included, we're guilty of that, right? Right. It's the- I, I heard on, and I can't ever remember who said it, but I, lo- I love to say it's not my, my saying. So I, I give attribution to it. He said, worry is a down payment on a problem you may never have. I like that. That's really, really good. Because if really, if you think about it, how much time do you worry about things and it actually doesn't come true? Right. Or you can't deal with it in that moment. So uh, the way I look at it is unless you're ruminating about something from a creative perspective in terms of like, sometimes we need to have those thoughts in the shower so that we can find the answer and be creative and innovative and problem solve and figure out how we're going to deal with our obstacles. That's a proactive way to think about Mm. what's going on. Thinking and worrying are two different pieces of our resiliency muscle. Mm -hmm. So thinking about it can be actually a real positive. Worrying about it is allowing the internal messenger of BS to get out of control and create stories that are not based in reality and are not factual. So go ahead. So you you said that, uh, you know, you have had a journey and I'm I'm interested in this journey because I've never heard you speak before um, that allowed you to go through this process and figure out a lot of the the concepts that you've put into your book. So I'd really tell me a bit about that. Cause I'm thinking, I'm very curious. I could imagine that everybody viewing or, or listening are, are curious about that too. Yeah. So <laughs> it's uh, uh, you probably should start with the title of my book, married my mom, birthed the dog, how to be resilient when life sucks. And so what happened? I actually, uh, over the course, I call it my decade of hell. It began with my father passing away, which is a very uh, normal life unfolding. You know, you expect at some point you, as an adult, you might lose your, you're going to lose your parents. And the difference was I didn't have the resiliency tools to truly allow myself to grieve and heal from the passing of my dad. He was very important in my life. That was followed by uh, my grandma passing and then another six people passing in a very, very short period of time, uh, which is just like you feel like you're a punching bag, right? It won't stop. In the middle of that, I had a surgery for a cyst that uh, unfortunately the surgery got out of hand and uh, caused neuropathic damage in my pelvis that is a permanent condition and causes... Uh, quite a significant, I'm very careful about the languaging I use around it because that's part of my pain management system, but uh, a significant pain uh, that required another five surgeries to try to fix in and out of the hospitals. And 
then I had eight major injuries. So like breaks to arms or wrists or toes and torn knee and broken nose and uh, the list went on. And, and all that time I had to show up for the clients, just like anybody else did, no matter what was happening behind the scenes. And as you can imagine, uh, with the surgeries and the physical pain, at first, my instinct was to push through and power through, which a lot of uh, professionals, that's how we think we'll deal with it. We won't deal with it. We'll just do something else. And I, I, I collapsed from the pain. Anyway, I was told to go on disability. I said, no way. And he said, well, you're going to have to figure out how to be resilient then, my doctor. And that began the, the, the quest. And I did what any independent grown woman would do in that situation. Perhaps I called home to my mama. <laughs> I said, uh, Hey mom, I know you're, you know, adjusting to life after dad passed away. Would you be open uh, to coming and hanging out with me? And by the way, you could become my chauffeur and you could, you know, uh, you know, help me with the house and, and help me do life while I tried to keep my business alive mm. and doing that and uh, like in and out of the hospital with the appointments and different, um, you know, always desperately at that time, not now, but at that time, desperately looking for the magic snake oil that would take away the pain mm -hmm. and, none of it worked. And so I was on heavy, heavy medications. And that was, that was the root of my, my, you know, what, what inspired my resiliency journey mm -hmm. and very frustrated at the time because I'd look for advice and, you know, a lot of the advice through the hospital system and the medical system was, well, you just stay on pain medication, right. Mm -hmm. And don't, expect to ever work full time again. And just, I, 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 you know, and maybe this isn't the right spot to talk about it, but I feel like the healthcare system, if you just take it at face value is designed to turn you into a victim. Mm -hmm. And I refused to become a victim of a surgery that went wrong and created a pain that would stay with me uh, potentially for my life. I mean, I'm hopeful that one day it will go away. And in the meantime, I'm able with my resiliency ninja work to actually minimize my pain and function without any pain medication. And some days are harder than others. Like today has, has been a really trying day because there's a lot of things that are coming at me from external sources that I wouldn't normally have to deal with. And so what that does is it, it gets me out of my flow. And when I'm out of my flow, my pain increases. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's a bit of my journey in the nutshell. So tell me what you found out really early that didn't work. That, mm -hmm. that you know, you, you know, because I know from kind of my path with uh, seeing a lot of patients and stuff like that, uh, you know, of course, the body, you know, shuts down the, the natural ability to address pain, 
when we take something external. So the body expects it, and then it, it kind of shuts down those you know, areas in the brain that, or the body that could help us naturally relax. Right. So you have to right. kind of tip from, it may not be the best relief, but it's some relief. Right, but actually I don't think it's uh, effective relief. Right, right. Very different. So the brain, and I love the way you phrase this because I, I believe, and I'm not a medical doctor in any way. I mean, you actually are a qualified psychotherapist. So, you know, you have better options and, and thinking around this. What my experience as a patient is that the medication numbs the brain to interpreting the pain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I would still have big spikes even when I was on the heavy, heavy, heavy duty medication. Mm -hmm. And I still have big spikes now without the medication, but I don't have the poison in my body. Mm -hmm. And the other thing, I think it's very different acute pain versus chronic pain. So even recently I fell down, they thought I'd broke my, broken my elbow. Um, it was just a fluke thing that happened. I, I didn't, thank goodness. The pain was significant. So it overwhelms you, right? You're like, oh gosh, that really hurts. And, and I think with that, it was just another reminder, very different chronic versus acute. Mm-hmm. And often with our chronic pain, our brain is still interpreting it like it's acute. Mm-hmm. Like the, the pain for me feels like a uh, serrated edge knife sort of stabbing into an open wound into my pelvis and twisting. And so that feeling can be so uh, overwhelming if I allow it to be as if it just happened, as Mm -hmm. if the surgery just happened. And the game with the brain is no, no, no. This happened now, what, 12 years ago even though the pain is still the same, it's like, you're used to this pain. You're not in physical danger. You like, you can calm down your sympathetic nervous system and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that fight or flight response by recognizing this is something that is very familiar that I deal with all the time. And with the medication, I, you know, I know your theme is authenticity. So really what prompted me to get off of the medication is at the time I desperately wanted to have a baby Mm. and the doctors couldn't tell me what a patient who was healthy otherwise, who was on methadone for pain, not for a high risk um, uh, addiction, because I didn't have an addiction. I, it actually was originally a pain medication that is very misunderstood in the marketplace. They couldn't tell me any research for someone, for a baby that was going into a low risk home, right? So yes, there's smaller birth rates and yes, there are smaller um, or maybe some learning curves and stuff on methadone babies who are in a heroin addicts. Mm-hmm. Uh, home, right? And so they couldn't, we couldn't justify that. And I said, if you can't tell me with a hundred percent certainty that I can have a child that will not be suffering from my pain medication, then I refuse to even try. And mm-hmm. that was my original inspiration. And then I never met a guy, so I never got to have the baby anyway, but whatever, <laughs> you know, those are the details, but I did get off the medication and it taught me that you can control the pain with your mind 
and your body and how you interpret the pain. But that wasn't actually your question. Your question to me was what didn't work in the early stages. So you want me to poke some fun at how we approach uh, pain? I, I like fun. So right. sure. <laughs> the phrase pace yourself mm-hmm. is probably the most defeatist phrase in the pain management library. And I'll explain why. Because the pace car never wins the race. And if you are a high achieving A-type personality who has acquired pain and have a certain level of operation that you're expecting, and now your body is rejecting that level of operation. So for me, I used to uh, be out in the community and working and doing things about 18 hours a day and then coming home and sleeping. And I had a little post-it note that said, deserve to hit the pillow. That was my philosophy. And then I came along and I had this surgery and I woke up with this knife twisting into my pelvis. And I went from having full capabilities to having somewhere between two and five hours of functionality a day. So the pacing yourself to me was a way of basically saying, give up, never succeed, and you're never going to have a full work day again. And so it was a real trigger word for me. And so I looked at it and I said, no, no, no. But what I could do is I could control my schedule. Mm-hmm. So when we control our schedule, we feel empowered to make decisions. And sometimes by controlling my schedule, I need to put recovery time in. For sure. So that, that was one of them. The other one, um, advice, uh, that I really think is harmful in the journey of resilience is the phrase bounce back. Mm -hmm. And the reason I have such a problem with that phrase is because the very notion of change is that what was no longer exists. So we can't bounce back. Mm -hmm. So for me, I spent probably five years trying to get back to my pre-surgery body. It doesn't exist any longer. So when we look at bouncing back, we actually are looking at hurting our ability to accept our reality for today and living in the now. So a lot of perception had to shift for you. Mm -hmm. The way you thought about things and how you perceived things around you. So in your model, so I would assume that, you know, shifting in thought is a big part of it. What else is involved? Um, Is there physical things that you do, other sensory things that you do that, that might be helpful? Yeah. So the resiliency ninja formula that is in my book is really, it starts with self-awareness. And I think the first step is self-awareness to understand how are we reacting? For example, like uh, pain, uh, I call it pangry. Like, you know, how people get hangry, like hungry anger. Yeah. I, I call it pangry. So I'm in high pain. So I'm very angry at <laughs> people. Some people don't even ever have the self-awareness that they're responding that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing would be, you know, we have this expectation that our lives are just supposed to be busy, busy and stressed out. 
when in actual fact, that's not how life is supposed to be. There's supposed to be a lot on the go and a to-do list that never ends. That's called life. That's not, we have to learn how to deal with it. It's not the end of the world. It doesn't mean that you need to be completely stressed out all the time, which is what I talk about a lot in my keynote. And so that self-awareness, really understanding how are you responding to obstacle? How are you responding if you have chronic pain? How are you responding to pain? Uh, how, are you, how are you showing up and responding to challenges? So my uh, Resiliency Ninja set point dial is the different ways in which we might automatically respond on a team to obstacles that are presented and then how do you shift it but if you don't even know how you're responding or that you're caught in the victim victim trap well how are you going to ever fix it so that's the first part of it Mm -hmm. the next piece is building your strength and from there i have the three components which is the physical the mental and the emotional Mm -hmm. heart strength so those pieces and then the last piece is the resourcefulness So asking for the help, understanding our limitations. Uh, I remember I was um, coaching a PhD student who's doing her PhD. She's a TA. Uh, She had a partner who was out of town. So she was traveling all the weekends. Uh, She was trying to do yoga and physiotherapy and going to her doctor's appointments and, and just had all of this. And one of the greatest resources is how do you control your calendar so that it can serve your personal flow Mm -hmm. right like so i know by mid-afternoon my pain is going to probably go higher than it is first thing in the morning just the nature of my personal pain journey so i often don't put uh things that i need to be able to sit for long periods of time into the later afternoon like so that sort of resourcefulness calling my mom another great resource right she her saying yes was a blessing and uh um yeah so that's it so the three parts the strength self-awareness is how we start then the strength then the resourcefulness which makes so much sense right because i think a lot of people based on so many different things develop uh things that they do that they continue to do and they don't stop to reflect and say, is this, is this helping me or is this hurting me? Right. right. And, and they keep going. Yeah. Over and over again. And I think, you know, slowing down to your point, you know, I think in Western society, you know, it's how you been? Oh, I've been busy. What's new. I've been busy. You know, it's, it's, it's almost like, it's like a, it's like a card that everybody pulls up as meaning, you know, busyness equals success. And I think that's what you're saying is, Really, in your case, you recognize that after going from 18 hours and what did you say? Your pillow said, what did your pillow say? Deserve to hit the pillow. (laughs) Right? Um, So you're like going from one extreme to another and then really, so that adversity really allowed you to, to reflect and probably understand yourself a bit more. Right. It did. And I want to be careful with the phrasing because it's not about slowing down. It's not about taking all those things off the list. It's about finding the things that need to be on the list and then saying no to the ones that shouldn't be there anyway, Mm -hmm. right? And I think focus, so one of the interesting pieces of my early days is I actually did and achieved more in less time than I do now, I, I swear some days, when I'm back to having full-ish capabilities, 
So when people tell me they don't have time to build a business, to do the sales, to do, uh, you know, whatever it is that they're not doing, like writing a book or, um, you know, whatever their dream is, I am reminded of the fact that I created a successful training and speaking business in two to five hours of functionality a day. Mm -hmm. Right. And did it very well. But what that forced me to do was to get in from a place of control and make choices of what I was going to allow into those prime hours mm -hmm. instead of allowing everything. I cut out my, a lot of my volunteer work, which was fulfilling and it wasn't paying my bills. You know, people who are struggling financially, but are spending all their time out there volunteering for free. Well, you're kind of not serving yourself by choosing to serve everybody else. And, you know, the old saying, put the oxygen mask on first applies in that situation as well. So, and it sounds like it's like value alignment. I mean, kind of, mm -hmm. if you're after something, uh, you're, you know, you're recognizing midday, look, I'm going to be potentially, I'm managing my pain, but I'm not going to be at, at my pivotal point of, um, high productivity. So I'm going to do the things that are, you know, um, you know, you're going to eat the frog first. I think I, I forget whose book that's from. Yeah, it's a great book. <laughs> right? Absolutely. Eat the frog and, first. And then you got to go to the things that are less important. Um, but a lot of people get into that frenzied space where, you know, they let people or things outside of themselves dictate their day. And what you're talking is about, again, like you said, slowing but slow doesn't mean slowing down but really um, focusing on what is important right first yes yeah because slowing down i'm anything but a slow person mm -hmm. i am an intense person i'm a fast person i'm i think the last thing anybody would ever be able to say about me is an adjective that somehow or other included in the phrase slow <laughs> Like what you said, it's like making the choices, controlling, and not from a controlling perspective. I, I have used that word a lot today. I don't know why, but um, it's very much about making choices that will align the most with what I need to do to serve my audiences, to serve. Because at the end of the day, that's the only thing that really, truly matters from a business perspective is how can I show up for my audiences, even if I'm in pain, even if I got caught in traffic, right? And, you know, all of those external sources, although pain is internal, we are within control of how we react to them. Mm -hmm. And we can choose to react from a place of resiliency ninja, which is metabolizing them faster so that we can move on to the next call, move on to the next speech. Or, or conversation without yeah. allowing what was happening right before you to interfere with your, how you're showing up. So how do you spend less time being reactive? Oh, well, first we have to have the self-awareness that we're reacting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I think most people don't even know that they're reacting. Uh, next thing, I really encourage people to choose better words in order to, to create better solutions. Mm-hmm a big uh, plank in my keynote. Choose better words to create better solutions. So let's work this through. Client calls me uh, the other day. He says, I'm stressed. I, and you know, me and stress is like, we're going to have to talk about a new word. 
choose a better word <laughs> because you're not stressed. Stressed is like this all-encompassing word that we label for everything. And it's so ambiguous that we don't know how to actually solve and deal with the issue. Okay, great. So what's another word? Well, I am worried. Okay. What are you worrying about? Well, I've got all these files that I need to get done. Okay. So are you overwhelmed? Yes, I'm overwhelmed. Okay. So of those files that are stressing you out, that have you worried that and overwhelmed, why don't you want to deal with them? Well, because I don't like these files. I've been procrastinating on them for a long time. Okay. So now we can deal with that. Mm -hmm. Right. But when you said you're stressed out, I can't help you. And so yesterday I was speaking to an insurance company, small group training, and we talked about this. So uh, we were talking about the difference between good and bad stress and the good stuff, deadlines, uh, you know, big goals. Those are meant to inspire us or keep us alive. One of the two. Mm -hmm. right? And a, that's a great stress. Let's use those the way they should be. It's the bad stress that I believe you can almost completely eliminate if you learn how to metabolize them faster. And it's things like that are caused by worry, judgment of ourselves and others, the internal messenger of BS that creates stories that aren't actually accurate and exaggerates and catastrophizes what's going on in our lives. Mm -hmm. And that is where I'm focused and on a mission to shift for people is how they deal with those so that we can just look at the obstacles that come up in our life as things that happen. Just things that got to be dealt with. They don't need any emotional bandwidth to them. They're just things that happen. Let's and deal the with them. Yeah. And the brain will keep doing it to you. <laughs> the brain, the brain is there to protect you and the brain doesn't know the difference. So to right. your point, yeah. And I bet you you've seen this in your practice and in your speaking work as well on resilience, that if people don't interrupt that pattern, mm -hmm. right, they can't, the, the brain, I love what you've said, it will just keep doing it to you. Mm -hmm. So the momentum, it's like a, a snowball running down the mountainside in a cartoon <laughs> yeah. when our actual problem is only an ice cube that's stuck in the middle of it. <laughs> I like I like that. That that makes a lot of sense, and uh, it takes practice. Like to your point, right? It 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 takes practice and, and understanding. Like you said, when you slow down, why did I react like that? But I think you know that whole element again of you know busyness keeps people distracted, where they don't just stop to reflect and think, how come I just reacted to that person so badly? Right. And, right. You know. And if you can do it in the middle of doing it to shift your, what's happening. So I'm going to give you two stories. I know we're probably close to being at the end of our time, but uh, one of them, I was in traffic in Toronto and it's, you know, it's just total construction. And this guy is, pulls in front of me into the construction zone. He was in my blind spot. I was in his blind spot. It was weird. It was, it was a very annoying thing. And of course he hangs on the horn and he, puts his finger out the mirror right? and all this. And I'm like, I was actually stopped. <laughs> like I'm going five, well, I wasn't quite stopped at one point it was, but like five kilometers an hour. I don't think I did anything that required you to give me the finger. And so if you've ever, you can imagine like he's got this huge truck with those great big mirrors 
And so I can see him and he can see me because we're now having a conversation between cars and I'm smiling and I laugh and I'm like, was that really necessary? Like, you know, big words. And he just started laughing and I could see, he goes, no, (laughs) he knew exactly what I was saying. So it's almost like when you notice that you're about to hang on the horn, Mm -hmm. go, oh, that's something I'm doing that I'm not proud I'm doing. Why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. Another example, uh, my mom, we we sort of switched roles now more, right? Like, because I'm able-bodied again, uh, I'm out doing what I do. I have been for years now and she still lives with me. And she's become very, very close in my life. And I love having her around uh, in my day to day. And she has some heart troubles. So she would be in the hospital, congestive heart failure, right? And I'm in the parking lot trying to get out, can't get the, you know, a card to work or can't find money to get out or I left my wallet at home or whatever the case may be. And I'm being a raving biatch to the parking (laughs) attendant. And Early, I wasn't aware of what that was about. And this is why interrupting what you're doing and saying by asking you to choose better words is really powerful. Because the truth is, I was scared out of my mind about what was going to happen with my mom. And I was taking it out on a parking guy. Mm -hmm. And so now, because I have that awareness... If I notice I want to be like reactive in a situation, I'll interrupt that thought and go, what's really going on here? Name the true emotion, fear, anger, disappointment, like name it for, and what is it about? It wasn't about the parking guy and I forgot my wallet, which by the way, not his fault. (laughs) It was about a true emotion that at the time I was afraid to feel about my mom. Mm -hmm. And that takes like to, to your point, it's hard to do oftentimes in the moment. It takes practice to be able to do that. So that's the part that, you know, I could see the ninja kind of getting in there and (laughs) taking over, (laughs) karate chopping that thing. And then, you know, and I think like to your point, you're kind of in the muck and then you think, how did I get here? And if you want to get in the muck a little bit less often, then you kind of start think back and say, what, why was I triggered? Like what happened? Like you said, my mom's in there and I'm not sure, you know, how things are going. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not really wanting maybe to think about that or really resource those feelings. But at some point it's kind of getting in contact with that. And like you said, it's that downtime, right? Where we really learn about who we are, especially when 95% of what we do is unconscious. We really have to take that time to be able to, to, to flourish by, by slowing down, going out in nature, whatever it is that, you know, you do to recharge. Yeah, exactly. Well, Alison, this has been phenomenal. And, um, I, you know, it's nice to talk about pe- with people that talk about the same things that I do. I know. I think it's so fun. And there's so much business out there, right? Yeah. Like we just have to let audiences know that you're available, I'm available, and we both get out there and teach because resilience is, I believe, the foundation for the quality of life you will have. For sure. So um, in reference to where people can reach you, if they were, you know, interested in having you come in to speak at their organization or um, their companies, where, where could people reach you? 
best bet is to come to my website at r-ninja.com. So resiliency ninja, but r-ninja. And uh, come see me there. And I'm also on all the main social medias. So Allison D as in Don Graham. Awesome. Well, thanks again. So for everyone, uh, grateful that you're here with us today. And uh, stop. You know, it seems simple. And, you know, it sometimes it's difficult to kind of get the dance that you're doing when you're with it. And, but if you want to change that step, it takes reflecting or sidestepping and really thinking, what outcome do I want a bit different? So if you're needing more information on me, you can meet me at roxanderhodge.com. Um, and like I said, I speak on mental wellness and resilience. Okay, Allison, take Thank care. You. And thanks again. Okay, bye-bye. Talk to you soon. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxannederhage.com slash blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.